A Great Wonder in Heaven, Part 2, by John Arrowsmith. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I believe you expect some application of what hath been already delivered before we close with the second verse, and will therefore briefly infer somewhat, first from the whole vision, then from the woman's several perfections, and lastly from the order of those perfections. 1. Inferences from the whole vision, which are two. 1. That besides the natural, there is a spiritual use to be made of all the creatures. The sun here points to Christ, the moon to the world, the stars to the ministers of the gospel. Man's soul is an alembic, in which the creatures are laid like so many herbs. If there be any fire of devotion within, many sweet meditations may be distilled. Natural hearts are apt to make a sensual use of divine things, but spiritual hearts have an art of making divine uses even of natural things, which we should all do well to learn. 2. That the whore of Babylon differs much from the woman in my text. The apostolical church of Rome from the apostolical church of Rome from the apostolical church of Christ, as not being clothed with the sun but with outward pomp, Revelation 17.4, she was arrayed in purple and scarlet colour, and decked with gold and precious stones, more for state than for Christ, refusing to accept of him for her only covering, shelter, and ornament, and going about to establish a righteousness of her own, not having the moon under her feet, but in her heart, loving the world, maintaining her greatness by carnal policy, and making prosperity a sign of the church, not being crowned with these twelve stars, but with the inventions and traditions of men, recommended by the Council of Trent, as worthy to be received with the same affections and reverence which are due to the Holy Scriptures, so as indeed the moon is her crown, and the stars her footstool. 2. Inferences from the several perfections here ascribed to the woman. Her being clothed with the sun lets us see... 1. The all-sufficiency of Christ. Jacob desired but bread to eat and raiment to put on. Having food and raiment, saith Paul, let us be there with content. Now besides spiritual meat and drink which Christ affords us, John 6.55, my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He himself becomes apparel to us. Galatians 3.27, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 2. The true fountain of all that wisdom, zeal, and grace which appears in the conversation of true saints. They are clothed with Christ as with the sun, and he it is that communicates to them light of wisdom, heat of zeal, and influence of grace. Such as have really put on him make not provision for the flesh, as others do, to fulfil the lusts thereof. Although but too many, while they profess a being clothed with the sun, give just occasion to renew a sad complaint made by one of the fathers, viz. that the blood of Christ, when newly shed, did, as it were, boil in believers' hearts, whereas now tis almost frozen in ours. So much do we come short of the first love of those primitive times. Her having the moon under her feet shows us how very ill it becomes the genuine issue of this woman to love the world. The friendship whereof is enmity with God, James 4.4. 4. Mundus in maligno positus. 1 John 5.19, next after Satan, this present evil world is the great malignant. Look as the moon, when she is at full, is then in most direct opposition to the sun, so tis the temper of the world to be most opposite to and rebellious against Christ, when it receives the most light of prosperity from him, and is fullest of the blessings of his goodness. Jesserin waxed fat and kicked. 
then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Deuteronomy 32.15 I spake to thee in thy prosperity, but then saidst I will not hear. Jeremiah 32.21 Why should Christians then be friends to that world, which is such an enemy both to their salvation and to their Saviour? Her being crowned with twelve stars may serve, one, to beget in us honourable thoughts of the minister's calling. How mean soever their persons be, yet are they stars, and that in the right hand of Christ, Revelation one twenty, an expression that argues affection to them, as when Jacob called the son whom he meant to love for his dying mother's sake by the name of Benjamin, or the son of his right hand. Nor only so, but care of them according to that. Psalm 17.7 Show thy marvellous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand. And that Psalm 80.17 Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man, whom thou madest strong for thyself. I know there are many wandering stars, as Jude calls the false teachers of that age, in the thirteenth verse of his epistle, men that made a fair show, but had no substance of truth in them and are, therefore, in that and the foregoing verse, compared to clouds but without water, to trees but without fruit, and to stars but without light. I am far from taking upon me to plead for any such, but fear not to profess myself an advocate for all those that are godly gifted and faithful in the work of their ministry throughout the land, the rather because there was never more, never so much contesting against their office as now. But who are they that think themselves able to wrest from Christ, that which he holds in his right hand, and do not rather fear, lest he stretch out his hand of his, to the crushing of all those that go about to crush his stars. Godly ministers, when they are slighted and injured most, may comfort themselves by considering that it is the fate of stars to appear much less to the eyes of men than indeed they are, and that they who during life are as stars in Christ's right hand, favoured and protected by him, shall after death be as stars at his right hand, glorified with him, according to that Daniel 12.3, they that be wise, or they that be teachers, shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars for ever and ever. There will soon be an end of their labours and sufferings, but none of their glory. 2. To put us all upon prizing apostolical doctrine as the crown of our church and nation. Let Italy boast of her rich copes, stately altars, curious images, which are so far from adorning a church as that they do indeed defile it. The crown and glory of England is that she hath maintained the truth of Christ and enjoyed the light of the twelve stars deposited in this blessed book. And did I only say, she hath maintained the truth of Christ, may I not venture to assert she doth maintain it? If not, the next assertion must be that of the Lamentations, chapter 5, verse 16, the crown is fallen from our heads, not unto us. But I hope better things of the kingdom, and such as accompany reformation, though I thus speak. Doubtless the confession of faith, lately presented to the honourable houses by the assembly of divines, who have therein expressed the sense of many millions beside themselves, will abundantly manifest to the world that this crown is not wholly fallen from England's head. Yet I fear there is cause enough to acknowledge that it doth not stand so fast on as heretofore, by reason of the many opinionists whose main employment is to shake it. Verily, whosoever bears a loyal heart to Jesus Christ cannot but grieve to see the jewels of that crown which he hath provided for his church's head, pawned and sold and embezzled as they are, to see not only Arminians, Libertines, and Sicinians gratified in abundance of their principles, but even Mohammedans, closed with by some, 
in what they hold concerning the authority of Scripture and concerning the deity of Jesus Christ and of God the Holy Ghost. Yet notwithstanding, would we all in the strength of Christ set ourselves for time to come to buy the truth which none should sell, and when truth hath been sold by others to redeem it, I doubt not, but within a while that would become appliable to England, which the prophet speaks of Zion, Isaiah 62.3, Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. 3. Inferences from the order of these perfections. 1. That men will never condemn the world till they have learned to put on Christ. The woman is first clothed with the sun, then gets the moon under her feet, not till then. The world tastes bitter to a soul that hath got the relish of Christ, and is amiable only to such as know him not. The stars that shine with some lustre all the night, when the sun riseth in the morning, hide their heads and appear not, being so outshined as to be obscured by that more glorious light. Such are all worldly excellencies to a soul wherein Christ is risen. A man can then slight the things for which he formerly valued himself. To Zacchaeus gold is not the same thing after conversion and before it. Now he makes restitution and cares not how little he leave himself, so he be not left by Christ. 2. That men will never prize the gospel as their crown till they have learned to condemn the world. The moon's being under the woman's feet goes before her having a crown of twelve stars upon her head. Those in the parable who had no mind to come to the marriage supper but desired to be excused fetch all their excuses from worldly affairs. That in Psalm 119.36, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness, implies that an heart inclined to covetousness will never give the oracles of God their due esteem. Luther, who gloried in nothing more than the gospel of Christ and ventured all for it, is reported to have professed that he was never so much as tempted by Satan to that sin. The Pope tried to win him by money, which it seems was more than the devil had done, but upon trial made, the answer which his agents returned was that the German beast cared not for gold. Hitherto of the first verse. Come we now to that other part of the description which concerns the church's weak and perilous condition laid down in the second. And she being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. Where there is a kind of gradation, the steps whereof will help to bound and likewise to methodize our discourse after this manner. She is with child, her being with child introduceth a travail, that travailing is attended with pains, those pains force her to cry. 1. The woman was with child. This apocalypse, being the last piece of scripture, hath a retrospect to the former canonical books, well nigh in all the passages of it. Most of the phrases in this chapter seem to be allusions either to the story of Israel, as related by Moses, or of Christ, as reported by the evangelists. For example, the woman's crying may look back to the doleful cry of Israel in Egypt by reason of bondage. Her flying into the desert and nourishment there, to the wilderness into which Israel was led, and where manna was sent them from heaven to feed upon. Her being delivered of a man-child to the Virgin Mary's bringing forth of Christ, being watched by a dragon ready to devour her child, to Herod's lying in wait to murder Christ, the child being caught up to God and his throne, to our Saviour's ascension, and sitting at the right hand of the Majesty on high. In conformity to which notions it may be said that as the Virgin Mary conceived Christ, when she had been overshadowed with the Holy Ghost, so when the Spirit came down at Pentecost upon the Apostles, the primitive church fell with child. 
The words are, here there is a lacuna in the text, having in her womb. Never was the church more pregnant, for she then had in her womb all those converts that were brought forth to God in the several nations of the world by the ministry of the first evangelical teachers and of their immediate successors. 2. This being with child brought her in time unto her travail, which consisted partly in the pious endeavours of zealous Christians to bring in others to Christ, it being a principle with such that he walks unanswerably to his new birth, who doth not desire and labour to see others newborn. Whence it is that Augustine commends his mother Monica for putting herself to more trouble in being instrumental to his regeneration than she had been at in bringing him forth into the world, partly and especially in the great and incessant labours of her apostles, evangelists, and other officers, to disperse the gospel throughout the world for its conversion to the faith, and making good of that prophecy, Isaiah 54, 1, Sing, barren, thou that dost not bear, break forth into singing, and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. As also of that, Isaiah 65, 8, who hath heard such a thing, who hath seen such things, shall the earth, here there is a lacuna in the text, made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once, for as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her child. Ye have to this purpose a most emphatical speech of Paul, Galatians 4.19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. 3. Her travail was accompanied with sore pains, which were increased by the opposition she met withal from two sorts of men, persecutors and heretics. That which arose from the one sort was more violent, that which came from the other more fraudulent, but both exceeding dolorous. The former had more of the lion in it, that term scripture puts upon tyrants. Jeremiah 4.7, the lion is come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. The latter more of the fox, which is the name given to seducers. Canticles 2.15, take us the foxes. Satan in the one showed himself a dragon and a serpent in the other. Lion and fox, dragon and serpent, all conspire to enlarge the church's sorrow. 4. Being thus in pain, she could not hold from crying out. First, to God in her prayers, as Acts 4, from the 24th verse to the 31st. They lift up their voice to God with one accord, and said, and said, Lord, thou art God, etc. Of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, which the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, etc. Second, to men in her apologies those of Paul in the Acts of the Apostles, those of Justin Martyr, Tertullian, and others afterwards, what were they else but the cries of this woman travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered? This may suffice for a brief explication of the words. The way to improve them in this auditory will be to accommodate these materials to the state of things among ourselves. After some overtures of a match in the reign of King Henry VIII, the Reformed Church in this kingdom was solemnly married to Jesus Christ, when the sceptre was swayed by Edward the Sixth, that godly young prince, as became the bridegroom's friend, rejoicing greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. The famous nine-and-thirty articles of her confession then framed were an evident sign of her being with child, and that a thorough reformation was conceived, though but conceived. Many and four were the breeding fits she conflicted with in Queen Mary's days, and such as gave occasion to fear that she would have miscarried. 
but God sent her ease from heaven under these succeeding princes, in which condition she went on for a long while, drawing still nearer and nearer her time. Six years ago, after this parliament had sat a while, it was generally believed that she was false into her travail, and in the midst of all those sorrows which have befallen England since, her friends encouraged themselves with this hope that the quicker and sharper her pains grew, the liker she was to be speedily delivered of that man-child, which was by them so greedily expected. But behold, as if all these had been but forerunners of her labour, not bearing throes, she continues still in pain, insomuch as they now begin to think she has not gone her full time, and earnestly to desire she may, because they fear nothing more than an abortive reformation. However, evident it is, not only that her pains are multiplied, but that they are caused partly by the malignity of her enemies, who have embroiled her in a bloody civil war, and thereby given her occasion to breathe out the prophet's complaint, Jeremiah 4, 19 and 20, My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me, I cannot hold my peace, because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Partly from the animosities and disagreement of her members, than which nothing is more dolorous to quiet spirits. Let me tell you how a great scholar once possessed himself affected with the like times. I know not, saith he, what pleasure other men may take in this age, but I am extremely troubled at it, because there is such contention and siding, such wrangling and jangling on every side. For my part, I had rather be a seller of herbs and root, or a man of the meanest profession under heaven, enjoying Christian tranquillity and gospel simplicity, than a divine of greatest note and reputation, deeply engaged in such divisions. Our church's condition being such as hath been described, or rather such as no description of mine can possibly reach the perplexity of, who can think it strange if, besides her crying to God, as in Isaiah 26, 17-18, like as a woman with child that draweth near the time of her delivery is in pain, and crieth out in her pangs, so have we been in thy sight, O Lord. We have been with child, we have been in pain, we have as it were brought forth wind. And to men, as in Lamentations one twelve. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. She make her special addresses to you, honourable senators, whom God hath now called to the midwife's office. No loving neighbour but would rise at midnight to help a poor woman in travail. No tender Christian but would put on bowels of mercy towards a church in such a case. Oh, what care, what bowels, what help is expected from you, who above all men are bound with all your might and skill to promote the birth of such a child as may cause the woman to forget all her sorrows. Would you obstetricate as ye ought? I know you would, yet think it not presumption in me, if in pursuance of the allegory which my text puts upon me, I take liberty to suggest three or four things by way of humble advice before I conclude. 1. Imitate Tamar's midwife, Genesis 38. The story is this, from verse 27 to the end of the chapter. It came to pass in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass, when she travailed, that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass, as he drew back his hand, that, behold, his brother came out. And she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was called Perez. And afterwards came out his brother, that had the scarlet thread about his hand, and his name was called Zerah. 
The different judgments of professors throughout the land show that our church hath twins in her womb. So much of truth as hath been already owned by Parliament, Zerah, like, hath put forth the hand. None can but say, This came out first, for you have marked it with the scarlet thread of a civil sanction. Yet there is a perez, a division or separation, as the word properly signifies, whose breakings out are notoriously known, as also his challenge of primogeniture. Our hopes are that Zerah will in due time be fully born, notwithstanding this interposition, and that you will say to the party that separates in doctrinal principles, for of them it is, I now speak, by maintaining opinions that are destructive and prey upon the vital spirits of religion, as the midwife then did to Perez, upon thee be this breach and not upon us. May it never come to be upon you, may you never come to be partakers of other men's sins in so high a degree. Hitherto the damnable heresies and daring blasphemies which have been vented everywhere may be thought to stand on the private account of such as vent them. But if representative England, which God forbid, should espouse their crimes by overmuch connivance at them, the guilt would then become national and too heavy for us to bear. The apostate Julian, who made it his business to destroy the Christian religion, betook himself to the use of two principal means, the one whereof was obstructing the ways of liberal education by putting down schools of learning that Christians, being kept in ignorance, might sooner be cheated of their faith and less able to resist the heathen sophistry. The other indulgence to all kind of sects and heresies, in hope by countenancing them to create such a distraction amongst Christians as should bring speedy destruction not only upon the orthodox party but upon the very profession of Christianity. I am fully assured that you abhor nothing more than the end at which Julian aimed, and therefore doubt not but the God of all wisdom and grace will preserve in you an abhorrency of the means which he used. As ye desire to have religion flourish among us, give encouragement to learning and continue nursing fathers to be the nurseries of it. If notwithstanding the pleasantness of situation, the water be naught and the ground barren, in either or both our universities, as of old at Jericho, where there was a school of the prophets, make speedy provision of fitting salt, let it be cast into the spring, that the waters may be healed. And as ye desire to answer the expectation of Christendom, yea, of Christ, and to fulfil the vows of God that are upon you, speedily raise up some bank against the inundation of blasphemies and heresies which are like to overflow us. The angel of the church of Ephesus is twice commended for his patience, yet noted withal for his not being able to bear such as were evil, and particularly for his hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans, who were a pack of lascivious heretics. Patience itself cannot bear with such. But there is not the same spirit in all that dissent from truth, neither is every parcel of truth of the same importance. There may be some godly and peaceable persons who yet cannot thoroughly close with everything, which you perhaps may see a necessity of establishing. My next word of advice is that towards such you would, too, do as the Egyptian midwives did, Exodus 1. Spare them, for they are Hebrew children, and such as belong to the Israel of God, though Jacob-like they have their holdings. This with me is a maxim, every one that is truly conscientious will as really tender the public peace of that church and state wherein he lives, as he desires to have the private peace of his conscience tended by that church and state. Now unto such as are indeed so qualified, although they may perhaps have gathered some peccant humours, there should be no churlish physic given. Leniatives may serve the turn, seeing there is a divine nature in them which will not only preserve them from all mortal diseases, but work out those slight distempers by degrees. 
I often think of that prayer, Romans 15, 5 and 6, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one towards another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may, with one mind and one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why the God of all patience? Surely to imply that unless God be pleased to beget mutual patience and forbearance of one another in some things, Christians will never be like-minded one towards another, according to Christ Jesus. Neither will our Heavenly Father ever be glorified by all His own children, with one mind and one mouth, according to their duty. In an army where the several regiments are distinguished by several colours, yet all under command of one general, and engaged in one common cause, if the soldiers, by reason of some diversity in their colours, should mistake one another for foes, and accordingly charge every one upon those of the regiment next adjoining, how inevitable would the ruin of such an host of men be! The Church of Christ is an army with banners. There always hath been, and will always be, some variety of opinion, even among the good soldiers of Jesus Christ. But so long as they are all obedient to the known commands of the Captain-General of their salvation, as the Scripture styles Christ, this variety should not engage them in the destruction of one another, lest thereby the armies of the living God come to be destroyed and preyed upon by the common enemy. 3. Encourage the woman in her travail, as Rachel's midwife once did, Genesis 35, 16 and 17. Rachel travailed, and she had hard labour, and it came to pass, when she was in hard labour, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. She had borne Joseph before, now the midwife puts her in hope of Benjamin. We have already, through the unspeakable blessing of God upon your counsels and forces, obtained deliverance from a mighty adverse power that would have ruined us. Reformation is that which we are now groaning for. What satisfaction would it give to hear you say to England, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. The church, as I intimated before, is said to travail in the labour of those, her agents, that are called to employments of the greatest moment and difficulty. Such are magistrates, ministers, soldiers, and to the first of these sorts it belongs to encourage the other two. Hezekiah was a great reformer, and it may be observed that there is mention twice made of his speaking comfortably to certain persons, 2 Chronicles 30.22. Hezekiah spake comfortably to all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And again, chapter 32, verse 6, he set captains of war over the people, and gathered them together, and spake comfortably to them. If our faithful and valiant soldiers have not received due encouragement, let them have it, I beseech you, to the full, and... Let me have leave to speak a few words in behalf of our godly ministers, whose assistance, how useless soever it may be accounted in other affairs, cannot be spared in ecclesiastical reformations. Israel was not brought out of Egypt, but by the concurrence of Moses and Aaron, nor the second temple built, but by joint endeavours of Zerubbabel and Joshua. It hath been formally said by one out of this pulpit that you have nothing at all to do in reforming the church, by another, that none but you have to do in the government of it. I fear not to call both these extremes, and beg your attention to those that take the middle way, whose unanimous voice to the Parliament of England concerning extirpation of heresies and removal of abuses out of the church is that of Shechaniah to Ezra. Arise, for this matter belongs to thee. We also will be with thee, be of good courage, and do it. We live in an age wherein are many that do evil with both hands earnestly, as the prophet speaks, Micah 7.3. There is therefore need that both our hands should be employed in doing good. Now the two hands of a Christian kingdom are the magistracy and ministry thereof. The business of reformation calls for both. As we commonly use our hands for the washing and cleansing of each other, 
So if the minister be extravagant, the magistrate may correct him. Then the right hand washeth the left. If the magistrate do amiss, the minister may admonish him. Then the left hand cleanseth the right. But he that makes use of one hand to cut off the other with, destroys his body. Such would our condition be, if either ministers should suffer the magistracy to be cried down, or magistrates permit the ministry to be debased. Scripture and experience bid us hope that Amalek shall then be foiled and Israel prevail, when faith in Christ and zeal for truth shall support both these hands, as Aaron and Hur did those of Moses upon the mount. Lastly, for conclusion of all, let the prayer of faith be of greatest activity when the woman is found to be in greatest extremity. Time was when things were at such a pass, even with Jerusalem in a day of trouble, rebuke and blasphemy, that the children were come to the birth, but, here there is a lacuna in the text, was no strength to bring forth, Isaiah 37.3. The case may perhaps be ours at present, though I will not say it is. Here there is a lacuna in the text. Um, the wisest course we can possibly take is to follow Hezekiah's good example, who, upon that sad occasion, here there is a lacuna in the text, not only pray himself, verse 15, but send to Isaiah, requiring him to lift up a prayer for the remnant that was. Here there is a lacuna in the text. Verse 4. Verily, honourable and beloved, there is as much need of fasting and prayer at this day as ever there was since our troubles began. But the assembling of our, here there is a lacuna in the text, from month to month will be in vain unless that which is tendered to God be the fasting of sincerity and prayer and faith. If while we fast our lusts be surfeited and, here there is a lacuna in the text, outcry our devotion, we must expect to have it much longer yet ere the child be born. Wherefore, to add strength to our faith and alacrity to our prayers, let us feed here there is a lacuna in the text. Those interrogations which have the force of a promise. Here there is a lacuna in the text. Isaiah 66, 9. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? I that cause to bring forth, shall I shut the womb, saith thy God? For my part, when... Here there is a lacuna in the text. Consider that temple work hath always been accomplished, not by might or by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord, and call to mind how many mountains are already... Here there is a lacuna in the text. Before his Zerubbabel's, I am filled with hopes. Here there is a lacuna in the text. You the worthies of our Israel, whose souls have... Here there is a lacuna in the text. All this while to bring forth a reformation shall... Here there is a lacuna in the text. Day, see the travail of your souls, and be fully satisfied. Here there is a lacuna in the text. As Jesus Christ would not save his people by halves, or leave the work of purchasing redemption for them, here there is a lacuna in the text. Had brought it to a consumatum est, so he will not. Here there is a lacuna in the text. His church by halves, but carry on the blessed work of reformation till... Not we only, but all they throughout the world, whose expectations are fastened upon it, shall cause to rejoice and say, It is finished. End of A Great Wonder in Heaven, Part 2 by John Arrowsmith